Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning. We are in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 15 to 21. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 19. In a little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I leave, because I leave you, because I leave, you will leave also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments keeps them. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Bless you. Thank you, Pastor Bob. I've had a few people ask me, so I'll just say it right off the, 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 the bat. This shirt was given to me uh, by Alex Sibiguawo's sister, Innocent, who lives in Uganda. And somehow she was able to, to make a shirt that fit me perfectly based off of a picture. At least that's what Alex told me. So in case anybody's wondering... So uh, thank you, Innocent, if you're, if you're watching. Appreciate it. Well, uh, again, we, uh, we welcome you if this is your first time with us, whether you're online or in person with us. Uh, we've been going through a series uh, this fall. Let's see if I can get my clicker to work. It's not working. That's all right. <laughs> oh, there it is. Uh, we've been going through a series this fall that's been a, a number of questions that have been um, submitted by our church members. And so many of you have submitted these questions. Um, if you're on our email list um, this last week, um, we let you know that um, some of the questions that have been submitted have also been answered via our um, blog on our website. In fact, uh, Pastor Aaron um, answered a question about why do we raise our hands in worship? Um, and so some of you, depending on your tradition, you're like, That's, I've always wondered that. And some of you are like, I've never wondered that. We've always just done it. Um, and so we've, uh, some of the questions that have been answered on our blog, some of them have kind of been connected or maybe further thoughts on something that we've talked about here. Because in all honesty, a lot of these questions, they're big questions and they have sub-questions. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so what we're trying to do in our church is create a culture of learning, uh, a culture where uh, we can ask questions, uh, where we can wrestle with uh, the truths of Scripture and how they apply to our lives today. And so I'm gonna, I'll share the, the next question we're asked about um, here in just a second. But one of the things I was thinking about, I was actually talking about this question with, with one of my sons this morning. And I realized we have a lot of phrases that we say in the church that we don't think about the meaning of those phrases because we've said them for so long. Uh, and as a result, sometimes we say those to people that have no idea. They're not part of the church culture. They didn't grow up in the church. Um, or maybe they're not even Christians. And one of those phrases is this word saved. Saved. So let me first ask this question. Have you ever been saved from something? 
Have you ever been saved from something? Now, when I was a kid, one time me and my friend and his older brother, we decided that we were going to go build a rope swing over the river where we lived. And we lived in the rural uh, mountains of Northern California. And this particular river was still running pretty swift at this time of the year. And I was not a very good swimmer. I was about seven or eight years old. Um, But that didn't deter us. We were going to go make this rope swing into the river. And as we were trying to get to the the particular tree that we were going to hang the rope from, I started to get swept down the river. And if you've ever tried to swim against the current, it's a pretty helpless feeling. And especially if you're not really a good swimmer anyways. And so in a moment of panic, I cried out, help! (laughs) And my friend's older brother had tied a saw to the end of this rope that we were going to use to kind of throw over the the tree branch. And so he threw the saw to me. (laughs) Yes. And I was able to grab onto the handle of the saw, and he pulled me to shore. And right as I was about to shore, the saw came loose from the rope, and we lost it, but I was still saved. So in that particular instance, I was literally saved. My life was saved. You know, in our church right now, we've got a lot of young kids that are just learning how to walk. And as a parent, when your kid starts to learn to walk, you are hovering over them, right? I mean, there's a staircase, there's a doorway, there's even a steep hill. Parents will just just kind of straddle their kids as they're walking. Why? Because they want to be ready to prevent their kid from getting hurt. Uh, and, And so in that way, many of us, even if you don't realize it, you've probably been saved multiple times from Uh, impending doom, right? Uh, Maybe some of you weren't, your parents weren't there, that's why you have that scar on your forehead, whatever it would be. But So we've all been saved in some like physical, tangible way. Now in the Christian culture, we use the word saved as it relates to our position, our relationship with God, and also our eternal destiny. So when we say the word saved, we're talking about something deeply spiritual, But it also has real-world implications. This saving grace, as we would say in church, and we often sing about, it changes something, both in our eternity, but also in our lives today. And so the question that was submitted is, what, uh, we are saved, but what are we saved to? Both in this life and in the life to come. So to understand what we are saved to, first we have to understand what we are saved from. As believers, we believe that we were born with an inherent nature to oppose God. We call that sin. That at some point when we're old enough and cognitive enough, we will do things that are not pleasing to God, that are disobedient to God, just like a kid does to their parents, right? And this sin then leads us to a a way of living and really ultimately to a destination away from God. And we are helpless to overcome that on our own, just like I was in the river. So when we talk about the saving grace of Jesus, it is that he took care of sin for us. He paid its penalty and then he made a way for it to be overcome. And so our destiny changes. We are saved. We are saved. We are reconciled with God. So this question, though, says we get it, essentially. We're saved, but what are we saved to? 
both in this life and in the life to come. It's kind of a, so what now type of question. That day when I was pulled out of the river, our plans changed. We decided not to put a rope swing into this particular raging river. My life changed, although not super dramatically. I still took risks as a kid, but I was still alive, and I'm still alive today by the grace of God. My destiny was, was saved in that moment, even if I didn't fully realize that at the age of seven or eight years old. So as, a, as believers, what are we saved to both today and in the days to come? This, this reminds me of something else from my child, childhood, a particular candy that was called Now and Later. Did anybody ever have these? Uh, it was an interesting candy because it says chewy on there. It started kind of chewy, but then it got hard as it went, so it kind of lasted a little bit longer than a lot of candy. Uh, and of course, as a kid, the, the, the candy never lasted till later, right? I ate it all now, as soon as I got it. But this idea of our faith, it has a both now implication, but then there is also a yet to come. There is something that is still to be fulfilled as we follow Jesus. So we're going to talk about that this morning, but first what we're going to do is what we've been doing uh, through this series is we want you to talk about it a little bit amongst yourselves. So we're going to break up into small groups and just for about five minutes, just turn to some people that are with you. If you're by yourself, you're going to have to meet somebody and talk to them. I'm sorry. Um, but I would love for you to answer this question. How does your faith affect the way that you live? If you have faith, if you don't, you can just say, hey, I'm still thinking about it. We don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Um, but if you do have faith, how does your faith affect the way you live today? And does knowing you will live forever with God, that's what our faith assures us of, um, does knowing you live with forever how, affect how you live today? So this eternal perspective, does knowing you will be in eternity with God, does that change the way you live? If so, how, if not, why? So go ahead and take about, we'll give you about five minutes, um, turn to some folks right now, and answer these questions as you feel comfortable. Ready? Go. Okay. I love the conversations. Uh, I wish I could listen in on everybody's answers. How does your faith affect the way you live? Does knowing you will live forever with God affect how you live? You know, if I'm honest, there's times where um, the, the faith that I hold to um, has been put on the shelf. And, and it's only in times of desperation or of need where I go, man, this is when I really need an answer from God. This is when I really need his truth. How does your faith affect the way you live? So many uh, folks that attend church, um, that the sum total of their faith is Sunday morning. But for others, we see a tangible demonstration, the way that they view their, who they vote for in politics, the way that they interact with their coworkers, the way they spend their money, all of those things are directly linked with the values of their faith, of their belief of their faith. And so this morning, let's acknowledge there's people in our, in our church family where there's a wide paradigm. Maybe you heard that just now. Some folks say, you know what, it, it doesn't affect me the way I, it should affect me. And, or I think about death all the time and wonder what's going to happen on the other side. Or I never think about it. When it happens, it happens, right? There's a, there's a big paradigm in, in how we approach our life. 
But we also admit that there are moments for all of us where we, where we consider these things more deeply. Uh, I read this story of a man named Dwayne Fields. Uh, Dwayne was born in Jamaica. And about age six or seven, his family immigrated from Jamaica to London, England. And they lived in a, in a really rough neighborhood in London. And by the time he graduated high school, Dwayne had been stabbed twice and hospitalized for it. He lived in that kind of neighborhood. At age 21, he tells a story of how he, was, he had bought a kit to, put, to build his own moped. And he had just finished building the, his moped, and his brother said, can I take it for a spin? And so his brother, he said to his brother, yeah, absolutely, go ahead and take it for a spin. So his brother took this moped for a spin around their neighborhood. Again, a rough neighborhood. And partway, partway through his lap, he was, his brother was pushed off the moped by some, some guys in the neighborhood, and the, the, the bike was stolen. And his brother came back, and Dwayne knew exactly where it was and who these guys were, because he had run-ins with them before. And so along with his brother, he went to confront these guys to get this moped back that he had spent his time and money on. And when he confronted them, a gun was pulled, and a fight happened. And Dwayne recounts how he was pinned to the ground by one guy, and he heard the click of the gun but no bullet. The guy frustrated pulled the trigger a second time, another click, but no bullet. He went to pull it a third time and his friends were so weirded out by the fact that this loaded gun was not killing Dwayne that they pushed him off and Dwayne and his brother were able to walk back to their house alive. Dwayne tells this story because he said it was at that moment where his life was reoriented he, he realized that he was, number one, he shouldn't be alive anymore. But then he began to think about who he was, what his passions were. And he had this memory of when he was younger, living in Jamaica, and his love for the outdoors. Here he is living in urban England, urban London. He says, I, I, love, I always loved the outdoors. I felt like it was something kind of deep inside of me. And so he began to reconnect with that passion. And ultimately, Dwayne now is, is one of the most famous outdoorsmen in all of England. He's hiked, done multiple hikes, uh, done things with celebrities. National Geographic has sponsored him. And what Dwayne found in that moment uh, of being saved tangibly was he found uh, kind of a, a restoration of who he was designed to be, how he was created. And when he reconnected with that, his life was changed forever. Now, I don't know Dwayne's faith but I do know his creator. And I know that for whatever reason, God saw it fit to save him and to point him into a direction that God had for his life, that God had always created him to be about. So when we think about this question, what are we saved to? Like, what is our purpose when Jesus saves us? It's important to understand the work, the tangible work of Jesus the saving work of Jesus. When I think of it, I think of it really in two pieces. That it is a tangible demonstration of the justice of God. The justice of God. When we think of justice, we often think of it as a judgment. And it is that. Jesus came to deal with sin. The same sin that keeps us separate from him. So Jesus, life and death and resurrection is a judgment against sin. 
The rejection of the good and perfect ways of God leads to destruction both in us and through us. So Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are a powerful example of how seriously God takes sin. He doesn't want your sin, my sin, to keep us separate from him or to lead us into destruction. And so Jesus took on himself the penalty of sin. And so now all who place their faith in Jesus can echo the words of Scripture where it says this. It says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So the judgment of God is demonstrated in the sacrifice of Jesus in him dealing with sin. But like Dwayne Fields experienced, after this saving, there is still a lot of living to do. And so the justice of God, it's a, it's a judgment against sin, but justice of God is also restorative. It restores life. It restores our life. Lavelle last week read from Isaiah chapter 61, where it says this, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. What's the vengeance of our God? It's against sin. But what's the year of the Lord's favor? It is a new life. It is a new, it's a restoration of what God has always called us to be. So this saving work of God, it's a judgment against sin, and it's a restoration of life. And you know, when I think of the saving work of God as it's demonstrated in Scripture, one of the most captivating stories is the story of Israel and Egypt. You know this story. The story of Israel and Egypt. The, the Egyptians had, had um, basically treated the, the people of Israel as slaves for hundreds of years. They were powerless to, to escape from captivity. They had been born in captivity. They had lived and they had died in captivity. They were a, a, a minority people oppressed by the Egyptians. And But God in his saving work, he, he does what? He, he frees the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. And he doesn't just free them out from under this captivity and say, good luck. He then says, here is a vision for what I have for you. And it's a vision actually he'd had for, for generations before. It was a restoration of their identity as his people. And so the story of Israel is that, is that walking literally, walking into the restoration of God's vision for his people. And so if you know that story, you can then fast forward to that same people years later, and you see how God's plan of salvation unfolds from Jesus to not just the nation of Israel, but to all people. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this, speaking of sin, he says, For if by the trespass of the one man, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The saving work of Jesus is a work of justice. It's a judgment against sin, and it's a restoration of life. And so this is what 
to answer the question, this is what we are saved from and what we are saved to. We are saved from our sin. What about you? How has God broken the power of sin in your life and saved you? You know, earlier I told the story of how I was saved by my friend's older brother. But no person in my life can save me from my own sin. It's, it's within me. It's impossible to be extracted out, to be dealt with. In Ephesians chapter 4, speaking of people that live in this type of sin, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh, I've seen that in that person, right? I've seen that in, in that nation or in that, in that group of people. But if we're honest, man, I've seen that in, in me. Hardened heart that justifies my own sin. And while sin is inherent to our nature, there's also another reality to this. There is one that is working to invite us to live in that sin, to be kept in captivity, to grow that sin nature more and more. Jesus addresses this in John 10 where he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus was alluding to Satan and to the demons that are on his side. So while we have this inheritance in nature, there is also one that is encouraging us into that. And if you don't believe me, man, all you have to do is look around in our culture and you see this invitation uh, Invitation into, into financial bondage. Invitation into lust. The invitations are everywhere. It's all about you. It's all about you. Whatever you feel is real, whatever you desire you can have, just continue on in your sin. It's all good. And even if you're, young, even if you're very young, you've experienced this already, these selfish desires, this hardened Hearts. Oh, I don't have any conscience about doing things wrong. Why is that? Anger, lust, greed. These things, again, come from within us, but they're also fed by the evil in the culture around us. So strong as the power of your sin and the work of Satan, there is someone who is stronger. Jesus has come to free you from your sin and to give you his Power, and this is important, not, your, not renewed power by yourself, but his power so that you could live in freedom. But not just freedom with no purpose, freedom to live as you were fully intended to do. And that's why Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. What does that mean, to have full life? Some, some Bible translations might say abundant life. You know, the heart's cry of this generation is to discover their true identity. 
Who am I? What makes me unique? What makes me at peace and fulfilled? I want to discover my true identity. And then once I discover it, I want to do everything in my power to make it real. And so we see this in our culture right now. Like, Who are you? Oh, you are special and you are unique, but you are not there yet. You need to work to get there. You need to, to earn enough money. You, you, you need to change your identity. You need to, to develop uh, you know, these things in your life that only you can do. And once you do that, then you will know who you are and you will be at peace. That's what everybody wants, to be at peace, to breathe out and go, I am whole, I'm complete. That's the heart's cry of this generation. But we know as believers the real solution, the only way to find that life, a restored life, a full life, is through the one who gave it to us in the first place, Jesus Jesus has come to give us life to the full. The idea here of this fullness of life is that you now have an advantage. You now have access to live in a way that wasn't possible before. And so as believers, we are saved from and to a number of things. We're, we're saved from a hopeless life to one full of hope. We are saved from being an enemy of God in our sin to a friend of God. We are saved from not knowing our identity like orphans to being called sons and daughters. When Israel walked out of Egypt, they walked into freedom and they walked toward God's restoration, God's design for who they would be. So because of the justice of Jesus that's displayed on the cross, we get to live into the promise of a life that wasn't possible before. It's the life that God always intended. Maybe you've met somebody who's been changed before by the saving grace of Jesus, and they just look different. They act different. This restoration of, of life that they've received, it's actually manifesting in the, their very nature. Where they didn't, couldn't smile before, now they can't stop smiling. Where they had destructive tendencies and behaviors, now those things are being reshaped and cut off. And new desires have been given to them. And this is what happens. The inward change of forgiveness by Jesus then leads to an outward expression for those of us that have said yes to him. And, through, and so throughout the history, the saving, restorative justice of God has a look to it. It has a look to it. The work of Jesus affects not just individuals, but it also affects environments, societies, and culture. You think of somebody like William Wilberforce, who in, his, in receiving the grace of Jesus, then saw the industry that he was working in, the selling of men and women into slavery for what it truly was. He couldn't see it before in his own sin, but because of the saving work of Jesus, he recognized that things had to change. And so he became 
an activist for uh, the abolition of slavery. We see how the, the saving grace of Jesus causes and has caused thousands and millions of Christians to care for those that society rejects, the vulnerable, the lost, the broken. You can look at almost any um, orphan adoption agency in the world right now, and the chances are its roots are in Christian beliefs. You look at the, the number one refugee resettlement agency in the United States, World Relief. It's a Christian agency. You look at how churches have mobilized around natural disasters. You look at going back to, to the COVID um, pandemic, the very beginning of the pandemic, where churches all around cities or all around the United States opened up their doors to provide a place to give out food to those in their communities. The saving grace of Jesus causes us to walk into the restorative work of God, not just as individuals, but in society and in culture. And all of this reflects a prayer that Jesus told his followers to pray that I'm afraid we don't pray enough, or at least we don't realize the implications of it enough. You're familiar with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You probably grew up saying it if you went to church. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think we meditate on that line enough. We say it as like a rote religious thing. Like, oh, let's say the Lord's Prayer and then sing a song and then the pastor will preach a message and then we'll give, do the thing. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so this very prayer that Jesus says, pray this prayer, indicates to us that this saving grace of Jesus should change things. That it does change things. Are we willing to partner with God in that prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, there's an important reality that we also have to acknowledge in this saving grace. It's kind of the second part of this question. That this new life that we live has an already and not yet aspect to it. An already and not yet. What, what did Jesus say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means it's not being done on earth, right? We want it to be done on earth. More and more and more. When Jesus was with his first disciples, he told them about this idea, about this already and not yet concept in John 14 that Pastor Bob just read. He used the illustration, and I love this illustration, of preparing space in the family house. He says, you know, listen, I've got to go, but don't you worry. You're already part of my family. You're already good. And between now and when I come back, I want you to do a few things. I want you, first of all, to know that you are secure in your place. What I have made possible for you is going to happen in full. You are secure. You are a son and daughter. I want you to, to know that and hold on to that. I also want you to know that you are to continue in that reality. I want you to grow in your identity as my son and daughter. And the other thing that Jesus said is to his disciples, he says, I want you to do the same 
things that I've been doing. In fact, he said, you will do even greater things than I am doing. Now, uh, my charismatic background means, whoa, that means I get to walk on water, like with one foot instead of two? Like, no, Jesus said greater things as in volume. Because what? We're, we're still here. The, the church has grown. There is more people that have said yes to Jesus. And so by the very nature of this growth, the church has done for thousands of years now greater things than Jesus in magnitude and in scope. When we take care of the orphan, when we, when we, when we speak against injustices in our culture, we get to do greater things than what he's done. So we are saved as believers. We are saved from our sin. Yes. We are also saved to a restored life. Jesus is doing something now in us. But we are also saved to a future glory with Jesus. Listen to what Revelation chapter 21 says about this future glory. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now, whether it's because of Renaissance art or cartoon depictions or just bad teaching in church, far too many Christians imagine eternity with God like us being dressed in white sheets, floating around in clouds in some sort of disembodied state. How many of you have, that's the image that you have that comes to mind. You can be honest. And that's not at all the idea of eternity that we get from Scripture. Now, eternity with God is also a picture of this restorative work that was started at the cross. We get a new earth, but one where the old order has passed away, where evil and sin Hard-heartedness, all of those things are gone. They're all gone. And one day, the saving work of Jesus, we know that it will be complete as his justice deals fully with sin and restores creation, including us that have placed our faith in him, to how we're always meant to be. So this is what Jesus does. Jesus saves us from our sin. He then begins a restorative work in our lives and through us, our environment that points forward to this saving work in Revelation. I don't know why the light's just dim, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> he saves us from our sin. He begins a restorative work in us. And then, as we just read in Revelation, he brings it all into completion. And so as believers today, this now and later, what is true now and what, is, what will still be to come later, 
our challenge is to live with this end in mind. Because this is this good news of Jesus, his justice that, that both paid for sin and then restores us into relationship. This is the good news that our confused world needs to hear. It's what your neighbors need to hear. It's what your kids continually need to hear in their home. And it's what you need to hear. We need to be reminded of this daily. That what Jesus did, he didn't just save us and then leave us to our own devices. He is still working in us. He is still promising this restored life. We are still walking that out. And one day he's going to return. And we get to experience it in full. Jesus did something amazing for you. And he didn't leave you in the desert. He called you to live a life with assurance. With what he started in you, he is continuing and that one day, you will see the completion of it. It truly is a, a now and later kind of faith. So this is what we're saved to, church. We're saved to the life that God always intended us to live. But it's not just for us. We're called to pray that prayer. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To partner with him. So in your schools, in your workplaces, in your families, pray that prayer. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray that prayer today, this morning. Lord God, this morning, we as a church that have gathered here in this space, we've, we've worshipped you through song, being reminded of those truths that we sang. We've, we've heard your word that has been preserved for us for 2,000 years. We've talked amongst ourselves about what it means to be saved and how our faith does or doesn't affect our lives. And this morning, Lord, we want to end this time asking you to do what you want to do through us. Lord, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, by that we mean, will it be done in our homes? Will it be done in our relationships? Will we view our workplace as an opportunity for your kingdom to be present? Will we view the, the interactions we might have at the, with a store clerk or with our neighbor as an opportunity for your kingdom to be present in those spaces? Lord, you have saved us. You have called us. You have pointed us in the direction of freedom. May we walk in that, Father. And Lord, this morning, I acknowledge there are people that, that are still wrestling with the, the, the bondage of their sin. Just like the Israelites would say, hey, maybe we should just go back because this desert thing is a little hard. Lord, I pray that you would continue to point them forward to your freedom. Lord, as they walk toward you in obedience, that the, the sin nature, that it would be less and less. And the kingdom nature, kingdom identity would become more and more. And so, Father, as a church, we just say, have your way. We're powerless to do it without you. And so we're thankful that you're here with us. Thank you for your justice that dealt with sin and that restores us. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Mm. Yes. Lord, as we leave this place, would you go with us, just like you did in the desert? 
with the Israelites, a, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Would you lead us into the unknown spaces and may we trust you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.